copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, find the book of Exodus, chapter 5. The book of Exodus, chapter 5. And while you find it, I love random factoids, random pieces of trivia. The poor, my poor wife at my house has to hear all kinds of these random ones. And so you all now get to hear a bunch of these random factoids as well. Particularly, I found some interesting factoids this week about roads and potholes. Check this out. In the U.S., there are 4 million miles of road. And in 2017, the FHA reported that Americans traveled over 3.2 trillion miles of road. And on those roads, there's an estimated 55 million potholes. And get this. AAA reported in the past that pothole damage cost American drivers around $3 billion a year. I think we can unite, regardless of our political views, regardless of our race, regardless of our income, around one central fact. We hate potholes. All God's people said... Right, I don't think we need to, yeah, I, I just think it's incredible how we can all unite around that. And just as, as your journey to work or to Walmart is going to be filled with potholes, so is the journey of faith. And God's people are going to hit potholes on our journey of faith. And particularly in Exodus 5 and in 6, we're going to see the nation of Israel as they're headed back out of Egypt. Moses is sent back in to lead them out. They're going to hit some potholes right at the start. They're not even going to get out of the nation before starting to hit some potholes. The journey of the nation of Israel out of Egypt is not going to be an easy ride. And neither will your journey of faith. These chapters are all about potholes and promises. So let's look together at Exodus chapter 5 and we'll read uh, to chapter 6 verse 9. The word of God says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will give you no straws. I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. 
The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whose Pharaoh's taskmasters have set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servant, your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. This is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you shall still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily tasks each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak In your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke this to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This is the word of God. Nothing worth doing is ever going to be easy. The hardest thing and the right thing are often the same. And one of my ministry mentors once told me that the conversation you least want to have is the one you likely need to have the most. And all of this is to say, despite what the TV preacher may tell you, your life is not going to be a cakewalk. And the presence of God does not mean the absence of troubles. Recall, as the people have journeyed through Exodus, God's appeared to Moses. He's commissioned him to return back to the people in Egypt and to lead them out. God said along the way, he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to judge the nation of Egypt. And he's going to be with Moses and his brother Aaron. And last week, chapter 3 and 4, we saw these objections Moses brought to God's plan and purpose for his life. And the ironic thing is everything Moses feared was going to happen (laughs) 
ended up happening right here. And yet, God proved faithful through it all. But at least on his way back, things start pretty well. Look at verse 1. Things start pretty good. Verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Moses and Aaron were able to get right into the throne room of Pharaoh. Think about this. They were able to, on a moment's notice, get into sort of the president's office to talk to him. (laughs) Probably because Moses had been a part of the adopted family. He knew how to get on the calendar. Maybe he called someone for a favor to get in. However they did it, they got right into the meeting with Pharaoh, and they probably were were really worried about the logistics of all of this, and yet that proved to be the easy part. They walk right in, look at Pharaoh, demand that Pharaoh, in the name of the Lord, let the people go in order to worship in the wilderness. And look at Pharaoh's response, verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. What a response from this leader. Who is the Lord? Who's boss over me? He, Pharaoh basically ruled over all of the known world at this time, and he didn't care what some God had to say to him. As far as Pharaoh was concerned, he was God. And anyone who was going to stand against him would receive punishments. And before Moses' people would be set free, before God was going to send them out, things were going to get worse before they got better. Look with me at verse 5. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the people are forced to work harder, not simply to build bricks of straw, but now they've got to go gather their own bricks. They didn't just lay work on them. They've not got to go do all the preparation even needed to get the initial work to happen. What started out appearing easy and like a honeymoon, they got themselves into the presence of Pharaoh, has now turned itself into a heavier burden on the people. You ever thought that something you were going to do was going to make your life easier and it only ever made your life harder? <laughs> Here is where the people of God find themselves. And on their journey out of Egypt, they were going to hit a series of potholes. And the first pothole they hit right here, they hit the pothole of systemic persecution. Systemic persecution. And I know that word systemic is thrown around a lot in the news, but if anything could be called systemic oppression, look what happens here. Pharaoh and all the Egyptian kingdom had made it their purpose to punish the people of God. The whole thing was set up for them to fail. They were already charged with a certain quota of bricks that was already sort of pushing the limit. Now they got to go and gather straws. And they eventually came up short. Look down at verse 14. 
and the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and asked, Why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? The people of God were experiencing persecution, and it came in a couple different forms. The whole system Egypt set up was there to punish them. They were overworked and unable to meet the quotas. But the persecution also became personal and specific. They were beaten, degraded, and discouraged. The goal Pharaoh had was to make sure that they had no hope of any freedom. Let's crush the dreams and hopes of these people because he knew they were far more and many. And if they really wanted to, could leave. But he wanted to make them think they could never get out. And friends, this sort of persecution isn't simply an Israel experience. Because in one sense or another, persecution is simply part of being a Christian. It's part of being God's people. This is in your notes, and this comes right from the Apostle Paul over in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says this, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see it? All who desire to live for Jesus will be persecuted. And I want you to know, when you look up that verse in your Bible, there's not a little star next to it, and you look down, and, you're, and it says, accept your name. <laughs> right? It isn't there. I mean, you can show me your Bibles later, but I can guarantee you that's not there. It tells us that all of us who want to live like Jesus will receive the treatment that Jesus received. He said the world hated him, Therefore, the world is going to hate us, at least in some sense. Now, I don't think the government will probably call you tomorrow to make straw bricks. (laughs) I don't think that's going to probably happen. But if you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, friends, being a Christian and a follower of Jesus isn't going to make your life problem free. It actually might make your life have a few more problems in it that you didn't think about. Sometimes this persecution comes in the form of name-calling and being a social outcast. This is what the readers of 1st and 2nd Peter were experiencing. You can go read that book where they were called names and pushed aside and went, well, we, we don't want someone with those beliefs in our company. We don't want someone with those beliefs leading us. We don't want someone with those beliefs being in elected office. Let's push them aside. And it can even come by way of legislation. 2 Timothy 3 goes on to say this. It says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Deception is the issue, but they will continue to be deceived and deceive others. In the early church, there was punishment for Christians who didn't worship Caesar. All they were asking Christians to do was follow in the line of others, and they just had to burn some incense and worship to Caesar. It's not that big of a deal to ask, right? Who cares what their conscience thought about these things? Just just burn the incense. You wouldn't want us to, to cancel you or fire you or you to be considered a weirdo, right? Why be such a bigot? Just burn the incense, they would say. And friends, I would say in our day, there is similar pressure on us as Christians to bend on our convictions about marriage. Just bake the cake. 
to abandon our convictions about the unborn, who are you to speak about what the unborn say or do? And to bend about the person and work of Jesus. You will be called names. You may be pushed aside and, and thought to be an outcast. People will try to cancel you. And I want to say, I think my students here probably understand this experience more than many of us adults may. There is pressure on many of them every single day. There will be pressure to go, well, why not date the popular kid? I know he's not a Christian, but, you know, you really want to climb that social ladder. And if you're seen kind of holding to your faith instead of pursuing after him, well, you'll never be cool. (laughs) You'll never get invited to the parties. Or you have all sorts of pressure from people going, well, all the other kids are having sex before marriage. Just do it too. You want to be like all the other kids, don't you? Why care about your faith or growing deeper in your love and knowledge of Jesus? That's not going to move you up the social ladder. Why be considered a weirdo for Jesus? In our day, they may not make you build bricks of straw, but they may make you have to rebuild your life from the ground up. We have leadership even in our world today that says exactly what Pharaoh said. Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? That openly questions God's authority and godless authority always hurts those underneath. And it is a real problem and persecution stems from it. Now, there might be something that goes, but, but Matt, we live in Cades. Everybody's in church right now. You're probably right. Most people are in church right now. But notice, there can be plenty of people who can, who can attend church every, every Sunday, be there all the time, and yet really have no love for Christ. <laughs> and still be an enemy of, of the Christian cause. Christian persecution in this world is real, and even in this community, because even if there's a certain amount of social religion that's acceptable, there are still people that go, well, keep that serious faith out of our classroom, out of our workplace, and out of your social life. Leave it at your home and at your church. We don't want any of that. We, we love the, the, the sort of hippie Jesus we like, but leave that rest of that stuff out of here, right? It's here, even in our world around us. And I just want to remind you that if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow after God's will for your life, you are signing up to suffer. You're signing up to be an outsider in this world. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you ready? And friends, I know we've enjoyed a, a, a relative amount of, of safety and freedom and comfort in our world in the last several decades, but I want to prepare you, that will probably not always be the case. Remember, compared to world history, America's existed about that long, <laughs> and everywhere else in this world, there, there's pressure, there's persecution, there's all sorts of pushing against God's people, and God's kingdom. Are you ready to be a Christian when it's not the popular thing to do? Are you ready to be a Christian whenever people go, well, actually, if you go to that church that believes that about marriage or about life, I I don't really think we can be friends, or I don't really think you would be a good fit at our company here. Are you ready 
for when that occurs. Because, friends, there is all sorts of murmuring out in the world about, about, about persecution that's coming toward us. There are all sorts of world leaders that, will call, that call us all sorts of names every day. Deplorables, extremists, all sorts of things for simply holding to convictions on God's word. It happened to the people in Egypt. <laughs> it happened to God's people serving there in Egypt. Are we ready for that in our life? For the pothole of persecution on the way to where God would have us go. But it gets worse for God's people. They're having a rough day <laughs> in Exodus chapter 5 because they quickly hit the second pothole of social pressure. There was the systemic persecution coming from the Egyptians, but there was also social pressure coming from the other Israelites. They were getting really bad negative advice from people in their community of faith. Look what happens in verse 19. Look at this. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily tasks each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you've made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you have put a sword in their hands to kill us. The people reject Moses I know you said God called you, but he couldn't possibly call you if it meant making my life more difficult because God's all about me and my comfort, right? I love it. I hear a lot of people, and I think they mean well, say, well, God has a wonderful plan for your life. (laughs) And I haven't quite found exactly what that means in Scripture uh, because he certainly had a wonderful plan for the Egyptians, and look how that's going for them, right? Let me just remind us, God is not out for our temporary comforts in this world. He does have a plan for us, right? And he does have something that in the end will be worth it because we'll be with God. But friends, that doesn't mean there's not going to be difficulty on the way. They said, the Lord judge you, Moses. You've made a stink in the sight of the Egyptians. You've assuredly spelled a death sentence for us. This is Moses' greatest fear Remember, he was so concerned that all of these people were going to reject him. Yet recall, this is exactly what God said they would walk through. And contrast the people here in, verse five, in chapter 5 and flip back to chapter 4. And look at the very end of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 31. Look at this. This is incredible. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worship. And now, when they get what Moses said was coming, they're like, we're ready to give up. <laughs> In chapter 4, they, friends, they had their hands up. They were praising. Revival was breaking out. They were worshiping. Everybody was coming to church that Sunday. They're all excited and confident. God's coming. God's rescuing. And now look at them. <laughs> God, how could you do this? Exactly what you said was going to happen. <laughs> Moses, it's your fault. God has left us and we're under judgment. Friends, does your faith get tossed to and fro based on your circumstances? Do you have a chapter 4 some days and then a chapter 5 six minutes later? Because these people reveal they had no solid foundation. They had a hope set on sand and that was shifting based 
on circumstances. Do you only worship the Lord when things are good? Because, friends, that's not real faith at all. How many of us would, would think a good husband only loves their wife when things are great? <laughs> or good parents only love their kids when their kids are perfectly behaved? That's selfish. That's not love and faith. And at the first sign of trouble, many of us are tempted to leave and run from our relationship with the Lord. So many of us want a crown without a cross. And yet Jesus said what it means to follow him is that we take up our cross and follow him. And without that, we will never experience glory. There is no crown without the cross first. And friends, we're often just like these Israelites, aren't we? This tossed to and fro, thinking that, well, if things are going to get more difficult for me, that's obviously not what God would ever want. Moses was afraid of the Egyptians rejecting him. That, that happened. He was concerned about getting rejected by the Israelites. That happened. And look what it leads Moses to do. He prays a prayer of despair, verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you even send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Notice how these other Israelites have now led Moses to pray, and it's impacted his prayer life. Do you see the pressure here? Do you see that sometimes the, the, the influence we have on one another is so much stronger than the influence the world may have on us. Moses knew the Egyptians were going to be a hard sell on this, I'm sure. <laughs> but so many of us here, how would we encourage one another? These people complained, and now Moses is discouraged. God's people never complain, do we? And yet Moses is discouraged. Yet there is one incredible thing that separates Moses' response from the people of Israel, and it comes in the first part of verse 22. We read that Moses turned to the Lord. Here's what happened. Here's the point. Moses didn't turn outward to others in complaint, nor did he turn inward in sadness, but he turned upward toward God in faith. You notice that? All these other people are voicing their complaints vertically, and there's a time and a place for doing it horizontally. There's a time and a place for that when they should have been voicing their complaints vertically to God in faith. And he voiced a prayer much like the psalmist in the Old Testament, going, God, where are you? You've made promises, and I'm not seeing your promises fulfilled. Moses is, is practicing what's called lament. And lament is bearing our sorrows before God. And there are many of us, we, we've kind of got in, in our general church world this sort of, we're going to dress up, we're going to put on a happy face, and everybody who asks me how I'm doing, I'm going to be good, even if my life is terrible. <laughs> we've got this uptight, put on a happy face church culture, and we simply don't have a place for faithful lament. We're tempted to look at Moses and see this as a prayer of unbelief. Yet Moses, by the very fact of turning to the Lord, is exhibiting a heart of faith in the midst of his laments. When was the last time we just lamented to other people or lamented as a church about how dark things may be, whether in our life or in the world or beyond? 
We need to get comfortable with lamentation in our own prayer life and in our churches. Life gets hard. There's going to be pressure on you from the outside and from the inside. And we need to be comfortable sometimes just being honest with the Lord. And if you want to know how I know Moses came in faith, it's because God responded. <laughs> and God responds in an incredible way. And we're going to look at his response in a bit. But we've got to see this third pothole. The people aren't even out of the driveway of Egypt, are they? And they've hit systemic persecution. They've hit social pressure. And now they've hit a third pothole, spiritual pummeling. Spiritual pummeling. They have been beaten down and beaten up. Anybody ever felt beat up before? They feel like they are ready to quit. And so Moses here from verse 1 to 8 gives these incredible promises that God gives to them. And we're going to look at those in a bit. But he gives them to them. And then the section closes with these words in verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. You ever been there? You ever had your physical circumstances cause you to have spiritual deafness? You ever allowed, see, God promised that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and yet it looks like the Israelites are the ones who have hardened their heart. God was at work, but they were fixated on their suffering. And so let me prepare you for the day that this happens in your walk of faith. You can mark it down now, this time, this day. Pastor Matt said, I am going to have an Exodus 6-9 experience in my life. You might even have multiple, but it is going to happen. You'll feel exhausted. You feel like you've given and served and worked and worked, and you'll look around and say, for what? You'll feel like all you've done is for nothing. Your faith may, in fact, make your life worse for a time. God might call you to serve somewhere, and you see little fruit for a long time. You may get the dream promotion or the dream job you've always wanted, and then you realize that being in upper management, there's all sorts of pushes to just bend those moral rules a little bit. Or you might begin to realize that, man, the grass looks so much greener over there, but it's because, man, they spent a lot of time mowing it, and I wasn't ready to mow and take care of the grass like that. Or maybe you've stepped into marriage and it's a lot harder, more difficult than you imagine. Or parenthood is just so much more than you could ever imagine. God, how can I do this? God's people may often feel like giving up, but God will never give up on them. Here's the encouragement for you. You will get to a point in your walk of faith where you will eventually want to give up and give in. I'm just putting that out there. It's going to happen to you, and if it hasn't yet, hang on. <laughs> it's going to get there. But God will never give up on you. And that's exactly what we see as the people of God actually had already gotten from God what they needed. God had already spoken to them right into their need, but they didn't even listen. They had closed ears. God had already sent a rescuer, but they rejected him. And God was going to continue to work and keep his word to the nation. Because no matter how serious and deep the potholes may be that you hit on the way of the journey of faith, the promises of God are greater. 
The bad news would be if Exodus just closed right after verse 9, and that was the end of the book. But the good news is the story continues. Whatever moment you're in right now, it isn't the end. You know how I know? Because you're still here. It's not done yet. And in the midst of Israel's suffering, God spoke. After the suffering of chapter 5 comes the hope of chapter 6. And after these three potholes, we see this, that God proved faithful to his promises. God proves faithful to his promises. Look what he says in verse 1. After Moses' lament comes God's response of hope. Verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Here's God saying, Hey, I'm going to drive him out by a strong hand, yes, but Pharaoh is going to drive you all out with a strong hand. Things are going to get worse before they get better, but I will keep my promise to you, and I will redeem you by my power. Because the people were discouraged because they thought the promise relied on their power. (laughs) But Moses turned to the Lord, and the Lord says to him, not by your power, not by your might, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. The beauty of grace and God's power is that God's going to get the credit out of this, not any of the Israelites and not any of us. And Moses spoke these words to people ready to throw in the towel and throw up their hands. Maybe you're worn out and ready to quit today because you're trying to do things in your power that your power was never meant to do. (laughs) The people were discouraged because they couldn't save themselves. Maybe it's because they were never meant to save themselves. They're trusting in abilities they don't have. They're anxious about something that they were never meant to do. And you feel crushed because you have expectations on yourself you were never meant to accomplish. The weight of false expectations. Moses couldn't save them. The nation couldn't save themselves. Only God with his mighty hand could do it. And if you're thinking that, well, actually what I need is just to sort of do the, do the life cleanup routine. Have you ever done that where, man, my life's really bad. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to start buckling down and, and fixing up at least the moral exterior of my life. But I'm never going to care for the outside. I'm just going to kind of fix this through law keeping. Friends, that's like Israelites making straw bricks. <laughs> you simply cannot keep the law and clean up your own life. It's not a load you can carry, and it's a job you can't complete. And so God continues to speak to the people. And as we look at verses 8 to 10, I want you to see and ask yourself, what word stands out here? Look at verse 2. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. 
Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. (laughs) What appeared there 14 times? I. Who's going to do it? God's going to do it. He appeared to the patriarchs. He established the covenant with them. A covenant is a relationship built on an oath. Think of a marriage or in our day, actually think something people might consider more serious than a marriage. It's God's pinky promise. People will break a marriage all the time, but man, those pinky promises, those are serious, right? It's a solemn commitment, an unbreakable promise. God had heard the groaning of his people and he remembered this covenant. God revealed himself as the Lord, as Yahweh, as the covenant-making God. And so here's the hope of the people. He proves faithful to his promises. God will keep his covenant and redeem his people. He's going to do it. He's going to keep his commitment to them and redeem them even though things seem dark. In fact, in verse 6, he mentions redeeming them through the judgment of Israel. And this is just an interesting little side note. This is actually only the second time in the Bible the word redeem has appeared. It appeared once, briefly, in the book of Genesis. And it's going to appear again after God rescues his people in Moses' song of victory. And he's going to look back and go, God, you kept your word and redeemed us. You purchased us. You made us your own. And he's going to use language like this in verse 7. That's very covenant language where it says this. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God, who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Notice the words of commitment. You're going to be my people. I will be your God. I'm going to be in relationship with you through covenant. And here's the good news. As we wind down, consider this. If you are a follower of Jesus today... God has made an even greater covenant with you through Jesus. Isn't that incredible? God promises to do all these things in the old covenant for these people in the midst of their potholes of faith. But friends, we're in a better and a new and a greater covenant than they were. Not one built on the blood of bulls and goats, but on the once for all death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The book of Hebrews tells us this, Hebrews 8, 6. Look at this. As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Here's the point. He says, the book of Hebrews is always shadowing the old covenant with how the new covenant's better. And he's telling us that the promises that God gives are ours in an even greater way. God will be our God and we will be his people. We'll literally experience adoption as God's sons and daughters. He's going to redeem us from slavery, not to Egypt, but slavery to sin. Redemption from God, from, from, the, from the slavery and the power of sin in our life, but also forgiveness from the penalty of sin. In Christ, there is now no more condemnation. Your sins are forgiven. 
And through this covenant, Jesus is bringing us to a land, not one you can point to in the Middle East, but to a heavenly land, to a land where heaven will meet earth, a new heavens and a new earth. Our cry for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will one day get a resounding yes and amen. This is what was said to Abraham and to those following after him with the same hope. Hebrews 11.10, For he, being Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Friends, God has made a solemn commitment, an unbreakable promise, a covenant with mankind. And the good news is God doesn't lie when he makes commitments and covenants. But that doesn't mean that we're meant to be passive. We are brought into this covenant, not through your own good works. You being here today doesn't instantly mean you're in relationship and covenant with God. I hope you know that. You might have even walked an aisle, said some words after a guy, and you've never seen your life be any different. We enter into this covenant relationship with God through faith alone through trusting faith alone. We aren't born in. You cannot ride on the coattails of your parents or grandparents into the kingdom of God. You must come to God by faith. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 says. This is so important. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And even the faith, this, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one may boast. We come into covenant with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But none of that means that following a crucified Lord will be easy. He's never promised you a problem-free life, but God has promised through faith in the gospel that he will be with you that he will redeem you and forgive you, adopt you to be his own, and that means he will never leave you or forsake you, and all that he promised to do, he will accomplish, even if he's got to take you through so many potholes to get you there. Your walk of faith will not be without potholes, but the gospel will bring you all the way home. So let me encourage us as we prepare for a time of response. This time after the sermon, there's a couple things that God invites us to do. First, he invites us to worship him for the promises we've heard in his word. If God's brought you through something and God's brought you through some potholes, the way to respond is to sing loud to him in these moments to come. Maybe right now you've hit some potholes and some difficulties in your faith and you need someone to pray for you. I'll be up front, or if you want to pray at the steps by yourself, that's open to you as well. And maybe today you've realized that, you know, I've really just been sort of playing the game. <laughs> I've not really been walking with Jesus. I've been maybe, maybe I have the appearance of some, sort of, uh, of some sort of faith in order to kind of fit in, but I've never actually committed to Jesus through it all to say through thick and thin, I'm going to cling to this Savior and walk with him. You can meet him right where you are. You can pray with me. You can take that step of faith today to know him, and he will make you his people. He will be your God, and he'll forgive you and walk with you every day of your life. Whatever you need to do, these next few moments are time for you to do business with God and to respond 
in faith and worship to him. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, we recognize that the life of faith is hard. The Savior promised us that if they hated him, they will hate us. And so, Lord, we ask first that you would break in us any desire to be accepted by the world. Help us not to love the world or the things of the world, but rather to know that we're to love you and serve our neighbor. Help us in these next moments, if there's someone here who has not committed to you, they would in these next moments commit to follow you and not look toward the world No turning back, no turning back. And Lord, we find ourselves in difficult times and difficult seasons. May we, as Moses, turn to the Lord. And may we find in you grace and mercy for our time of need. Have your way with us as we respond. And we ask and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Fear and I 
promises remain true and we have a hope worth sharing with everyone we meet so we go in the peace and the power of Jesus this from 1 Peter chapter 5 and after you have suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever 